Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hi, this is Basic Folk. We have honest conversations with folk musicians on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. I'm Cindy Howes. Thanks for listening today. We have Katie Kirby on, who was raised outside of Austin, Texas. Katie grew up homeschooled, enamored with Jesus, and was rocking out to Christian contemporary music from the late 90s and early 2000s. But then she went to college in Nashville and her world opened up. She started questioning everything she believed about God and the church. She fell in with a crowd of musicians who were going through similar situations. She had a lot to let go when it came to her high school education. Her parents sent her to a private conservative Christian high school. Once she was out of it, she realized how backwards her education was, how racist and closed-minded the experience had been. She began writing her way to an understanding. She calls that time the weirdest and one of the darkest experience that I've had, trying to rewire my brain to not have a loving God that's ever present in it. She fondly looks back on her experience of learning how to play music in the church. She was 13 years old and playing bass for the first time in the church band where she was the youngest person by at least 25 years. The relationships formed with the adults in the band were fundamental, especially in introducing Katie to the world of secular rock and pop music. The music of Peter Gabriel, Led Zeppelin, Sufjan Stevens all came to her through the other members of the band. Her debut album, Cool Dry Place, really relied on her intuition to figure out what worked best for the songs. And she talks about how that experience impacted her confidence. Well, the record is rad, and I think her intuition is spot on and hope that she keeps following it. We'll take a listen to a song from Katie's debut album. This is Fireman, and then we'll get to our conversation with Katie Kirby on Basic Folk. When he wants to go out with the boys, I always say, of course. When he wants to be alone, I kiss his head and close the door. My baby is a fire. Um, so Katie, you were raised in suburban Texas, which is Spicewood, which is about 30 minutes outside of Austin. And from like what I gather, your parents sound like very chill and interesting people. They are highly active and involved in their church and raised you as such. Um, they are 
lawyers that have law backgrounds, very open-minded mm-hmm. and empathetic. Um, what do you know of their backstory, their like professional backstory and their spiritual backstory and how they came to be like so dedicated to their faith? And also like, what about this cheerleader thing? <laughs> so that that is a really good question. Uh, and only partially invasive. So uh, <laughs> I so there so my mom actually hasn't practiced law since I was born. Um but uh I think they both went to law school at the University of Houston. Um my dad is an intellectual property lawyer for this company that basically makes like swipey card keys to get into places like a fob Uh, they yeah like yeah big big fob they have the market cornered on fobs apparently (laughs) (laughs) um so they they met while they were teaching cheerleading camps um in the late 80s i believe or mid 80s Mm. um and like kind of met had a little thing um didn't really see each other again for another six months. But I think by then, both of them, for some reason, had started feeling like they wanted to be more intentional about their faith. Um, pretty, I'm pretty sure all of what I'm saying is right. But, but so it sounds like they weren't raised like hardcore the way you were in the Christian world. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, I think they both came from like pretty culturally Christian backgrounds. And um, like my my grandmother on on my mom's side is was super devout and adorable. And she lived with us for a long time. Um, But not. It it doesn't seem to me like they came from faith backgrounds that were more in depth than sort of like going to church and being really active in the church. Um, and also I suppose at the, at the time that they would have been growing up, the American church sort of across the board would have been a little bit less like charismatic and touchy feely than, um, uh, it might be on average now. So, Mm. uh, it's, it's, it was probably just a little bit less of like an emotionally intense experience. Um, so I I I don't know how they wound up like being the the type of folks that they are right now, but um, I think that they've always found uh, a sense of community through the church, and I think they've always um, viewed it as a place where they can um, help people heal from stuff and also heal from their own stuff, um, and so I think that has been their entry point for like the intense engagement that um i saw growing up uh which is i i think a a lovely way of relating to that uh, Mm. pocket of america there's like a I, i feel like everyone kind of at some point is like oh my parents could never have tried harder or they were they were trying really hard or doing the best they can um but I, I felt very aware of that even as a little kid, just because like the books on our bookshelf, uh, even now at my parents' house are all, are all like marriage, b- biblical marriage, 
uh, like spousal conflict, whatever stuff, or like how to raise kids stuff, or like how to be a better Christian or a better member of your community. And so like there are just like literal bookshelves um, or or just sort of proof that they were really doing their homework. Um, I I think partially because both of them are like children of divorce and they were like, we got to we clearly don't know how to do this. We got to figure out how to do this. And And so I guess maybe the church was a place for them to figure that out together. Um, you and your siblings were homeschooled, and it sounds like it was very easy to be homeschooled in Texas. Um, mm-hmm. And also, like, your parents wanted to keep you away from bad influences um, for a little bit longer. You went to high school, a private high school. But um, what impact do you think being homeschooled has had on your personality and ability to connect with the world? That's a, yeah. Yeah. Uh... I'm assuming a whole lot. Um, I like I I did have a a reasonably sort of like gentle personality as a little kid, um, and now I'm a total asshole. Yeah, um, you seem. Like it. I, I grew up into a monster. Um, no, but I was like a a sweet, probably sensitive little kid, as far as I recall, and. There's a reasonably large possibility that if I had been sent to public school at like a very young age, I would have, I wouldn't have been picked on entirely, I suppose, but I might, someone might have kind of like kicked the, uh, kicked the sensitive artsiness out of me a little bit younger, um, which would have not been ideal. So I, I, I don't know, but I do think, um, I do think that being isolated like that, because it is kind of isolating to be homeschooled sometimes, especially in like um, the the area that we lived in, like is technically suburban, but feels very rural a lot mm. of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think that the choices that my parents made in educating us were pretty, pretty conducive to... Um, turning out um weirdos <laughs> um i mean like uh, mixing that in with like a youth group summer camp forever type of situation mm-hmm. then you get a whole bunch oh, of embarrassing yeah. kids oh yeah <laughs> truly truly i mean like youth group or like youth group summer camp is was like an unbelievably just like intense experience for me every year and i think probably mostly because it was just like i wasn't used to being around that many people of my own age Mm. constantly um and also there's like a lot of yelling at because it's a summer camp um (laughs) the the thing (laughs) the thing i remember most about being homeschooled is that there was like a lot of uh time in that wasn't structured at all um So I like there wasn't a huge sense of routine in our household that I remember, but um, that did allow me to uh, kind of kind of like really wander around in kind of an odd way um, as a kid and sort of entertain myself. by 
talking to trees or <laughs> writing little stuff down or um do it was a lot of time doing sort of nothing um that i uh i imagine is helpful in, mm, yeah it um, sounds like important nothing work. yes it was a lot of important nothing and i don't plan on having kids but i i <laughs> if i did i i would want that for them i think um yeah it is like that kind of un or that unstructured experience of time or a uh, a way of moving through the world mm. for a while at least where time is like pretty irrelevant um yeah so yeah something like that that's cool um and you mentioned and have talked about feeling isolated while being homeschooled um how did you uh reckon with that as a young person like if that isolation translated to loneliness and then how did you see yourself like compensating for that when you were no longer homeschooled Hmm. you start so wait, like the, i'm sorry the first part of the question was like how so if the isolation led to loneliness which it did we did um what did i like what did i do with that yeah like when you're like oh i'm no There's longer isolated i'm gonna go crazy and like crack 10 beers at once and do keg stands <laughs> or like what you know totally i mean i think that i Especially, uh, I it was probably I probably was relating to kids my own age, like whenever we started going to high school, in like a reasonably performative way, in the sense that like I really didn't know how people just oh, like hang out, right? Like honest to God, and sometimes I still get that feeling. Um, we're like, I just haven't been to quite enough sleepovers to really know right. how to act right at this moment. You're like, is Which this is... the part where we talk to the trees in the sleepover? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not sure. Like, is this, do we be uh, like a little bit mean, but funny here? Or do we like not be, <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell. Um, so I, 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 I really had a pretty decent time in high school, all things considered. Um, I think I was I remember like having a crush on a boy whenever I first showed up and I had really long hair and then like I cut my hair to the length that it is now when I was 16 um like a few weeks after I met him and he was like I literally heard through other people that he was like not into it he was like nope that doesn't do it for me like in sort of like a biblical womanhood way apparently so there was a little bit I, I wish I had acted out more and I wish I had argued with people a little bit more in high school because I was a little bit too compliant. Mm. Um, but I... I, I, I don't know. I, I think me and my siblings and like a few friends of ours were probably represented, representing the like weird liberal-y kids I'm, and that sounds crazy to say but um everybody else in that environment was pretty hardcore um evangelical in like a very traditional southern baptist way for the most part mm -hmm. and also pretty far right mm -hmm. in general that that is super in general but um yeah, I don't know if I answered the question, to be honest. Well, I'm interested in, like, the 
so like in thinking about that and thinking about my high school experience, like if I look in my um, high school yearbook that um, mm-hmm. for and looking at all the seniors, there's only one girl, my friend Jaffney, who had a short haircut, you know? Yeah. So like your decision to cut your hair when you're 16 sounds really interesting. Yeah, it was. Um, it, I, I don't remember why I did it. Um, I do recall I left like one little like long piece. The and, rat like, tail. I braided it. <laughs> yeah, it was like a tiny rat tail. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> um, stayed on there for a while. But uh, <laughs> Padawan braid aside, um, I, yeah, I like. I probably I probably came across as like fairly non-traditional. I didn't like hate everyone I went to high school with. Um, but it didn't really get close to anybody except for like a couple of people who I'm like still friends with now sure. and we all made a record recently in Alabama. So um Yeah, it it's the older I get the more I realized that that environment was like pretty darn far right and like pretty darn fundamentalist. Mm. Um, And I didn't quite grasp that at the time, but now it's like a little bit horrifying, Um, but cool for the most part. Most part unscathed for sure. I do have a couple questions about your high school that I'll fast forward to because we're talking about it. So it does sound like you have some very complicated feelings about this. It was a private conservative Christian mm-hmm. high school where you transitioned from homeschooled to like where your parents, it sounds like, were open-minded. They had books on the shelf that were like how to be a better parent or how to be a better partner, mm-hmm. um, flexible to ideas like you bringing home Led Zeppelin, you know, that them being like not – having a problem with it sure, um, yeah. to like a private conservative Christian high school that had strict rules about hairstyles and a dress code. Oh, yeah. What was that transition oh, yeah. like for you? It was it was weird, mostly. I, like, I, I don't think super highly of that high school, um, to be completely honest. Uh, I... It, I don't know why, but it didn't feel like that much of a shift in like timbre of religious flavor or whatever at the time. Um, I think partially because a lot of fundamentalist churches, even if they are like really hardcore about stuff, um, tend to present now as sort of like friendly non-denominational open to open to people and not judgmental assholes um Mm. like just as a matter of branding that's what the culture seems to have headed towards Mm -hmm. um so um people like my parents who 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 absolutely like got along with everyone um at faith academy and um with people who were much more conservative than than they were like they could definitely all vibe together um 
it it all sort of feels the same until you get like fairly into until you're fairly integrated into a church congregation a lot of like technically non-denominational churches in the american south particularly um are sort of indistinguishable from each other so um like just because i i think that they've all sort of turned towards the idea that um they want church to be accessible and like modern and non-intimidating which i'm sure is real but um it really can just be incredibly hard to tell um among non-denominational churches uh which are going to be like relatively safe places to have doubts or um or or explore things and and which ones are going to be like toxic and dangerous and bad and <laughs> scarring um because everyone kind of has adopted the same language i think um to be fair i have not like rolled up to an evangelical church in quite some time nor a non-denominational one but um everyone ki I, I don't know if you're familiar with like hillsong um but it's like a it's like a, a mega church that is sort of youth oriented and projects like coolness and hipness and friendliness um and everyone kind of had yeah and everyone kind of is yeah everyone's using that same language in a way that um yeah can can really just uh set you up for an experience where it it can be surprising well i've completely the structure of the sentence is completely gone <laughs> hang on but the extent to which i i think like a language has emerged um under evangelical non-denominational christianity uh it's pretty easy to think that you're talking about something with someone or on the same page as like most of your church body and then suddenly realize that you're not can um, you give an example uh, yeah it's <laughs> totally so like i suppose the best example would be maybe like sort of like hotter topics so like the way that people talk about yeah so beliefs about women is probably the like simplest one that i can speak the most to um nobody's going to say anything overtly sexist or horrible for the most part in most non-denominational churches and all of them would probably if pressed would affirm like basic 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 um feminism related ideas however some of those churches do us an actually a surprisingly good job of um of uh honoring the perspectives of the the women in their congregation um treating them as as valuable um like in, in leaders um 
and, and and you know generally just you know treating them as f full members of the the community or the leadership or the congregation or whatever um but most of them are not great at that even though they're all probably going to say roughly the same thing so it um it's really hard to tell when you walk in um whether you're walking into a congregation that uh sort of fully values the women in in the church or is making them all teach sunday school and will maybe have a sermon once a year about like submission to husbands it's just really hard to tell until mm. you really get to it i guess is what i'm saying mm -hmm. so yeah wow all right <laughs> Yeah. So, and again, haven't stepped into a church in a long while, but that is that is my recollection and and hunch still, I suppose. Right, and that's all a kind of equated to your experience in this like conservative Christian high school. Yeah, for sure. So, oh yes. So, um, in regards to where I went to high school, kind of the same thing. Where, I, like I was saying before, like as I get older the more I realized like, oh my God, that was quite a fundamentalist place. That was quite a uh, politically right place. And just the, the, that, that was just like kind of a weird upbringing. Actually. Did you, did and, you have you yeah. ever, like talked to your parents about their decision to send you that high school? Cause it sounds like they are very different than, than that. They are well, so because the the people at that high school were are you saying also, it was like kind of hard to tell on the outside mm -hmm. that you're like this is a this is like exactly what we're looking for, and then you stepped in and you're like, "Oh shit, there's some dark stuff happening in here right, well, and yeah, because everyone was using the same language and okay. talking about right, things in right. the same way, and like for for like the most part by and large and and my parents also like while very thoughtful people and uh and like and pretty flexible um ideologically they weren't like progressive by any means they were mm. just like not as sort of like they weren't as fundamentalist uh, mm. <laughs> to their core as um the people who were administrating that high school okay. tended to be. Okay. Um, but again, it's, but like, it was hard to tell because we were all using the same language for the most part. Um, it was also kind of hard to tell because like it was a newer, it was a newer school. Like I think it had only been founded like 15 years ago or something mm. like that. Okay. And so we would go like, you know, we went three days a week and then we would study at home on Tuesday and Thursday. And like there were uniforms, but like, they were pretty simple. They were just like polo and khakis, so NBD. Um, and yeah, and and I mean, it's just hard to. So like a a, a few a couple friends of mine, um, were like like who are out as as queer or um, gay now or transgender even um, were like constantly terrified um while we were in high school 
and and I, I I think honestly I was just oblivious to most of it. And so like as I've talked to them and as I've looked back on being in high school, like it it's more alarming to me now. But at the mm. time I was just trying to be friends with everybody. So I don't know if I yeah. <laughs> so in um your like press and interviews, like you've been pretty outspoken about your relationship with, with religion. And mm-hmm. with like Jesus as a young person, and then losing it as an adult, which like um, we'll get to in a bit. But first, totally. <laughs> Christian music. Um, I think mm. in talking about this, you have to look at it in two parts: performing in the church and listening to worship music, like as a fan. Um, on playing the music, you have talked about singing in the choir and playing bass in the church's worship band. Now that you are older, how do you reflect on starting your musicianship in the church? Yeah, actually, I had a a lovely conversation with my mom about this a couple of days ago. But um, something that I love about churches or that I am glad exists rather is that um, because we are making music for Jesus right Um, Jesus accepts us as imperfect and so in a lot of churches uh, it's okay if the worship band or or the worship music is imperfect Um, because musical perfection is not the point and so that combined with like sort of a general lack of like 40 year olds or 35 year olds who play bass in you know spicewood texas um you might need to call upon um a random 13 year old girl to play bass for you um and that's great honestly i mean i surely didn't know what i'm doing what i was doing um but uh, it's a pretty like un- it, it's non-threatening like no one's going to be mean to you um, <laughs> for messing something up and like it, worship songs are like really easy to play like be- and are now written like that not only so people can sing them really easily but so that worship bands that are always almost always comprised of not professional musicians and sometimes not even very good musicians and sometimes 13 year old girls who just picked up a bass um (laughs) they they, yeah they write those songs to be easy to play um so it is really it it was really i think that was the the best part of growing up in the church for me personally is like the instincts that i picked up in while i was playing in in the worship band and um and and also like how um welcoming that space really was to me as a little little bitty musician um yeah and and like that was sort of the first place that i heard like people kind of like chat about a white stripes album or whatever like in between practicing songs and and like talk about music and sort of a nerdy way that was like really compelling i was like whoa this guy won't will not shut up about peter gabriel (laughs) i I love how he's thinking about this shout out to david norris wherever you are um 
so yeah, so I, I think that was, that's a beautiful place to start playing music. Um, I have a lot of friends who grew up in really similar environments and that's also where they sort of like start first started playing music with other people. Um, I believe most of them agree. Um, and I have also noticed that when I play in bands with those people, um, they're, they're definitely real flexible as musicians. Um, because worship bands tend to be sort of like in utter chaos most of the time. And also (laughs) they're real good at, um, they're usually really good at like following, um, because I think it's like fairly common for worship leaders to be like, the Lord is moving me to play this other song that we were not planning on. Just like watch me for the chords or something. Mm. And so that, which is, yeah, utter chaos um, and doesn't Gotta be flexible. Well, but yeah, so there's a like lot of flexibility that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, you were just mentioning this, and I loved reading about your relationships with the adults you were playing with in the church band. So you were 13 years old when you started playing, and you were like, you said that by far you were like the youngest person by like 25 years. Um, mm-hmm. So these adults were like turning you on to new music, and I'm sure just like generally being very good role models. Um, especially as someone who feels differently about faith now, how did you hold on to that goodness you experienced? in making music in church and did that help you in maintaining relationships with the people that you still love who are practicing Christians? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so to be fair, all of the practicing Christians that I'm close to are like pretty darn open-minded or I would say and or um, are like aware of where I am in my faith sort of vaguely. And so we don't really feel the need to like get into it all that much. Um, the I, Like to be completely honest, like the people that um, like wound up showing me a lot of music like in that worship band who again is like literally David and Gail Norris and Suzanne Zuka of Austin, Texas. Um, like still feel like very dear friends of mine. Like I saw Suzanne the other day and like, she's my mom's best friend. And, um, I played in a band with the Norris's daughter for a while. And, um, they're just people who are really dear to me and who, who I can't imagine ever like getting into conflict over, um, faith with. And, and none of the Christians that I am like close to right now are trying to save me which I am realizing is like a, a beautiful gift. Um, so I, I'm not close with any Christians who are like worried about my soul, mm. unless someone's not telling me something. Um, <laughs> they are, I, like, I think everyone's sort of on the, um, on the side of like, sure, Jesus, Jesus saved my life. There may be other ways for people's lives to be saved. It is probably not my prerogative to proselytize or convert to anyone um so yeah and and i also i do know how to talk theology reasonably well still and i and um 
because I'm familiar with, I don't know, like, a lot of talking about God or thinking about God is just like a really interesting thought experiment, if nothing else. Um, and so, like, I'm, I'm down to talk about theology, um, if anyone wants to, even though I don't, I don't quite hold to any of it. Um, it's intellectually stimulating in a way to sort of like connect over stuff. While at Belmont, um, and it sounds like also like in high school, you formed a group of artistic and musical friends that reflected mm -hmm. what you wanted your world to look like. Um, what does it mean for you to like have that community and make music with your friends? And how does it feel to connect with them on a musical level? Oh, it feels really, really good, TBH. Um, <clears throat> I was recently with a bunch of people. We all got tested and we quarantined, and then we all went to this super remote farm in Alabama. Um, and I got to play through the entire album with all of them. Um, and it was a really long day, um, and it took a really long time to like get a decent video of. But... Um, It it's very magical to like know someone like that and to know what they are like in that context. Um Yeah, and, and I I do feel like I've um I found the best people I possibly could have to To, to sort of form a little little community um, and kind of like learn together um, or sort of like um, teach each other like how to collaborate and how to make music. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I feel I feel super lucky. Um, I, I feel super lucky to have gone to Belmont um, because for that, um, because that that is where I I that's where I got a lot of those people from, and I I feel super lucky to be trusted with. Um, I feel lucky to be like trusted enough to like be led into those people's sort of like artistic lives at any mm -hmm. level as well. Um, and I think that's really beautiful. That's really cool. You've said some things about not wanting to like, in other words, be seen as the girl with the acoustic guitar and the pretty <laughs> voice. Uh, mm. Can you talk about your feelings about the acoustic in relationship with your gender? Oh wow, where do where do I begin? I mean, if I had to If it was a movie, I would say that movie opens with the teardrops on my guitar music video. An iconically girly um sort of acoustic guitar centric 
cultural moment. Um, what is that? I don't and, know what that is. Oh, so Teardrops on My Guitar is like this Taylor Swift song where she literally talks about writing a song um, on her guitar and then about a boy that she is crying over. And so the chorus is like, he's the reason for the teardrops on my guitar. Oh, all right. Thank you for explaining it's... that to me. I am old. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. <laughs> it's a little bit niche. Um, but yeah, so the... Yeah, I don't know when I decided that I, like, didn't want to be pigeonholed in that way, but... Um, when is that Taylor Swift from? 2006 or Two, seven? Okay. So I want to let you answer your question, but I also want to have a little bit of a reflection on the way that women were treated between the beginning of time and up until about 20... 12 or later that like mm -hmm. if you go back and watch tv shows like gilmore girls or the office there's like her like horrendously sexist comments no totally and yeah. people in the 90s being like i'm not a feminist but mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and like i'm just wondering like where your observations have been in terms of like Feminism was like a dirty word up until recently. Yeah, surely. Um, yeah. So, as somebody who grew up in that era where like the 90s and the like early 2000s, I think were actually like a pretty terrible time to be a woman. Um, and mm -hmm. like we didn't yeah. even know, we didn't even realize it. And yeah. it's gotten a little bit better, but like not great mm -hmm. still. And I'm wondering, like, what your experience of, like, seeing all these, like, cultural touchstones where, like, you know, the shock jock, like, their whole thing is, like, making fun of, like, sensitive chicks and stuff like that. And the way that yeah. people reflect on Lilith Fair, like, really, like, making fun of Lilith Fair when, in fact, like, Lilith Fair was an amazing music festival yeah. and like the way that yes. people rag on indigo girls like they're two successful musicians who had like humongous hits still like have a very successful career like what is so funny about that anyways i'm gonna stop my get off my soapbox no that's a and cool let you have soapbox. let you have the floor again <laughs> <laughs> the the uh i yes no i absolutely track with what you just said um I think that the way that I absorbed it is like the the way that like that kind of sensitivity being what you know musical way of expressing sensitivity or emotion or um you know love uh it it wasn't really like you're overly whatever this music is overly sensitive and overly emotional and that makes these songwriters wusses or whatever or like super duper vulnerable as people and they seem fragile and women um, are the worst 
weak-minded. Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, these weak-minded women writing their sweet, soft songs. Like, I'm sure that some of that's in there. But for me, what freaked me out the most about it is that it was talked about as though it were like an excessively like indulgent or self-obsessed way of relating to music um that of course like you know similar no one really seemed to use that tone when when talking about um dudes with guitars and sensitive stuff mm-hmm. going on like mm-hmm. that wasn't seen as indulgent that mm-hmm. was brave um and so and so like i think i was way more afraid of like being seen as like indulgent or sort of like excessively self-interested um and boring because of it rather than just like not seeming like I had, I was, I had a tough personality. I don't know. Um, so, and also, like, I can't remember who f- first complained about this in my earshot, but um, it it tends to be the case that uh, again, like women in those genres um, get. Um, get the word confessional applied to them sort of a lot mm-hmm. or like diaristic or um, or personal or, or whatever um, way more often like like truly and again this does seem like another thing women are maligned like girls writing in their diaries as like a mm. sort of jokey shorthand for like frivolous self-interest or Mm -hmm. frivolous self-reflection does that make sense yeah it it sounds like um the perception of those women or the way that those women were, were marketed in popular culture was just wrong you know like human beings are complex you know right tori amos and Courtney Love are different people, you know, and they're going to have complex Mm -hmm. feelings about different things. All of the women I'm referring to are white women, by the way, and I realize that, you know, which is a different conversation and a different podcast episode that we can have. Oh, yeah, true. (laughs) Anyways, I mean, that like we could just go on and on and on, but I want to, I'm grateful that you shared your thoughts on it and it, it, yeah, like controlling the narrative of how you're presented in the world is important, you know? And mm-hmm. it's and and it sounds like you're railing against like a man like the way that men talk about women and the way that like women talk about women instead of actually railing about the women themselves. You know, like I read this Oh yeah. Uh, I read yeah. this thing that you said that like somebody called you a songstress and it made you want to burn and smash every acoustic guitar and like mm-hmm. yeah I get that and that's like not wi- that's not a woman's fault that's who like that's no. like yeah. the patriarchy Katie yeah <laughs> <laughs> man alright cool 
Uh, let's talk about being the boss. Um, you made this record Sweet. cool, dry place and really relied on your intuition to figure out like what worked best for your songs, which is rad. How did that experience impact your confidence and ability to defend your ideas? It made me, I think it was like the only way that I could have learned to do that. Um, and uh, like, I think that the people that I made it with were especially helpful in doing that, but you don't really know how to make a record until you make a record. And I definitely did not. Um, but the, the people who made it with me, Logan Chung and Alberto Seawald, um, who co-produced it, I think in particular, were, I think, fairly understanding um, and really encouraging um, about, like, I, I think that they sensed that I, um, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing, like, disproportionately and was, like, sort of anxious about it. And so they were great about... Um, giving me like a little extra time to articulate what I was trying to say um or like yeah extra patient when I was um trying to just trying to figure out what I thought because it it was just a, a whole new a whole new thing I, it, so i think that they were both very gentle with me throughout that process um and logan even who helped me demo a lot of those songs early on was um was someone that i talked to about like that sort of anxiety a lot um early on and he was very like insistently encouraging me to think of myself as someone who could produce records um before i was remotely able to like con um connect with that part of myself i guess but like for instance like he i i was just like i don't know what sounds good like i don't know what i like even um, because i think i was i was just so like nervous about liking the wrong thing for for such a long time um, and he was like, okay, here, what, here's what you're going to go do. And like, had me make like a bunch of different playlists of just like, these are songs that have drums I like in them. And these are songs that have guitars I like in them. And that sounds super simple. And it really was, but like, it was almost like, I didn't think I had the authority to be like, I like these drums because they're good, um, <laughs> for fear that someone would be like, no, actually they're bad. Mm. And I would have no way of being like, I JK, I also I, hate uh, them. JK, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So like I was really I was really bad at even like knowing what I liked. And so doing that was super helpful. Um mm. yeah. What a great experience for growing. <laughs> well <clears throat> we have uh nearly completed the interview. Uh there is one more thing that I would like yeah. to do. It is called the lightning round. Sweet. Yeah, you ready? Totally. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's go. What is the first song you learned on the guitar? 
they were at the same time. It's uh, Crazy, uh, the Willie Nelson version, and Blackbird. What is your karaoke song? Uh, the last time I... It was Stand By Your Man by Tammy Wynette, but it didn't go over that well. So like, you kind of have to be in there to do that one. But yeah. <laughs> Dogs or cats or something else? Uh, I think spiritually I'm a bird person, but dogs probably oh, bird person what's your favorite bird? bird there's this one youtube video called stompy bird and it's just this like parakeet <laughs> walking around but it's like it's flapping its little feet on like a tile floor and it's unreasonably loud <laughs> and like the, the comedic timing of this bird walking towards the iphone camera is unparalleled <laughs> highly recommend stompy bird um I used to not be a dog person, but I, I adopted a little boy in November named Gizmo who changed my life and taught me how to You've taken so, promo pictures with him. He has, like, really incredible set of teeth, right? He does. He had uh, uh, he had half of his teeth. He, not to, not to bummer in the uh, lightning round... He did. He he got in an accident. He got hit by a car oh. about a month ago. But his memory lives on in a billion pictures on my phone. So. Oh man, I'm so yeah. sorry. It's okay. I'm a dog person now, so you know. <laughs> what is your coffee order? Uh, black drip coffee, or if I'm feeling fancy, uh, soy cortado, but very rarely. Ooh, I tried one of those for the first time the other day. It was strong. Wow. It is. I did find out about a Cortado in the lightning round. BT dubs. Um, <laughs> all right. First celebrity crush. Do cartoons count? Yes. <laughs> okay. So the I'm pretty sure it would be the dude in Atlantis, which is a Disney movie. There's like a very skinny scientist boy with like enormous gold-rimmed glasses. Is he a good guy? And like a butt cut. He is a good guy. He's the He's good, good guy. guy. Yeah, I'm. I'm familiar yeah. with that film. It is. Yeah. Unfortunately, realized the other day. I was like, that is. That's my template. There he is. All right. <laughs> cool. Um, who is the nicest musician you've ever met? Oh, gosh. Uh, um, we played a, like, streaming show with another Michael, who is a band from upstate New York, um, and actually put out a record on the same day we did. Um, everyone in that band is, like, the nicest person i've ever met um <laughs> so yeah def definitely definitely them and and they make music that sounds like they're nice people too so it's really cool that it matches up <laughs> first album you bought with your own money um mm -hmm, by reliant k by what is it uh reliant k so they would they would kind of fall into the ccm category okay uh but yeah sort of sort of i'm gonna a gentle pop punk i'm gonna look them up on youtube and be disgusted, but can't oh, yeah. stop watching. That'll be me. <laughs> First concert. 
Um, I'm actually very proud of this one. Uh, Jesse McCartney was opening for a band called Jump Five at Six Flags over Texas in San Antonio. And I was nine. Wow. Maybe. Very on brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. Flying or invisibility? Uh, invisibility, probably. I want to know secrets, and I want to never be embarrassed. And so that feels, like, ideal. That's fair. That's the best explanation yeah. for invisibility I've ever heard. <laughs> I want to know secrets. Everyone wants to know secrets. <laughs> Come on. Okay, this is the last one. Make it count. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? That I've ever visited? Uh, this is mega touristy, but the, the first thing that comes to mind is like the first the first time I went to um, the La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona uh, was very moving. And I understand that that, that monument or that, that cathedral being there is like kind of a crippling nuisance to the people who actually live in that neighborhood mm. but it's a real pretty building mm. unfortunately is that the cathedral that is still not finished yes it's uh they're close it, it look it looks kind of like sand castle yes like dripping it has yeah. like a lot of yeah there's like a lot of fibonacci organic math all the door handles on, are like like a like very weirdly they look like um pieces of clay that somebody just grabbed yeah yep absolutely it's like every detail of it is like whoa yeah yeah that's a good pick it was pretty it was it's just it's just darn pretty mm. well all right katie we have finished the interview you've done the lightning round fairly good job nine out of ten Thank you so much for talking. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. I really like your record, and I hope uh, everything goes really well and that you don't embarrass yourself and that you're not terrified. I do, too. Thank you very <laughs> much. Thank you for saying that, for real. Um, yeah, this has been lovely. Basic Folk This Week was produced by Laura McCarthy. Alex Stanton of Townspeople composes our music. I'm your host, Cindy House. Basic Focus on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. You can find all the episodes wherever you found this episode of Basic Folk or at my website, cindyhouse.net. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend. Okay, thank you so much for checking it out. And we'll talk to you next time. Mm, bye. <laughs>